Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, what does a passage like that have to do with work? Uh, We're going to find that out. It's a bit obscure, isn't it? But I will get there. That's what you pay me to do. So it is uh, good to see you this morning. If we haven't met, I'm Sam, one of the team, and I wanted to spend the first couple of minutes just helping to explain why we would spend five weeks talking about work. Uh, Over the next five weeks, that's what we're looking at. And uh, last week, I'd asked us if you were here whether or not you'd had that moment in your life where somewhere, some, someone along the line had bent down and asked you, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And as a result, it triggered you into a whole reality that there's this thing called work. And then you'll discover that you will spend probably at least, if you're lucky, one third of your entire life at work. And then we discovered that a Gallup poll research house found that in that one third of life, of people that are in work don't like what they do. So we've got a wonderful situation in front of us this morning, don't we? That basically uh, a third of our life, 80% of you either have been dissatisfied or won't be satisfied with what you're doing. (laughs) Wow, aren't you glad you came to church? (laughs) So I asked us, um, are we okay with that? Is God okay with that? Not from us wanting to punish us sort of way, but we believe that he wants the best for our lives. And so uh, are we okay with that? And that's why we wanted to uh, look at the biblical definition of work, because unless you understand uh, the purpose of work from God's perspective, you won't understand your purpose at work. One of the great truths that we discovered last week too is that whether you are a gardener or a philosopher, uh, whether you are a, a mom or dad that stays at home or an MD, there is work for you to do. That all of that is work because uh, unlike how the rest of the world sees it, from a biblical perspective, your job is not your work. I'll say that again. Your, your job is not your work. And so what that means is that whether you are a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, whether you're a retiree, Uh, Whether you are studying for work, whether you're employed, whether you're unemployed, uh, God has given you work to do because uh, the biblical definition of work is to take all of your God-given gifts and he's placed you in gardens, remember? Places, uh, people's lives, contexts in which to flourish the world around you. What a noble way to think about work. (laughs) And so then I love the honesty of our congregation. Because uh, you're all off having coffee in our new coffee machine, and I'm I'm here in the auditorium, and and someone says to me uh, last week, he says, "Mate, mate, look, I get, I see what you're trying to do there. I see what you're trying to do there." <laughs> but he said, "You don't know my workplace. It's toxic, and I don't want to go there tomorrow morning." And so we've gone from last week, God's dream and his vision for work. Work is a good thing and a God thing. And now today we have to deal with reality. <laughs> so I thought I'd get your help on it, you know, start thinking through. But, you know, what are some of the frustrations with? What are some of the frustrations you've had? What are some of the frustrations that you are experiencing in your work at the moment? Just just yell them out. Get a bit Pentecostal on us this morning. <laughs> it's okay. It's a safe space. <laughs> Um, What are we dealing with? What do we get frustrated at? What do we get sick and tired of? People? (laughs) That's that's a good one. More specifically, 
Too many hours, working too hard, yeah. Too much travel. Amen, Charles. Yeah. Politics. There we have it. Office politics. Yeah. Yeah, dealing dealing with... Uh, let me throw some different ones at you. So we're not just talking about stuff in the CBD. Yeah, what about if you're a stay-at-home mum or dad and the constant state of anxiety that you have whenever you turn up to the school gates because you're worried that uh, the other mum or dad's child is doing better than your child. <laughs> you know, oh, they're not, they're, not, they're not saying words yet. You know, the way that you can be just thrown into this deep sense of anxiety. Or you're a stay-at-home uh, mum or dad and, and you get to do that full-time and someone says to you, oh, you're not back at work yet. <laughs> When you agree, like, there's a deep frustration with work. There's a reality to work. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're here. There's a problem with work. And there's a dynamic underneath all of this that is a lot deeper. And the fix for the problem is a lot more nuanced than working out, according to some studies that I've read, whether or not you get an office pet. Some workplaces do that, have an office pet. Other places go open plan. Other places give you a PlayStation 4. And pool tables, if you're lucky enough to work at Google. I've been in those offices. But you know, it's so much deeper than that. But the problem's deeper than that. And the Bible is really clear on what the problem with work is. The Bible doesn't shy away from it. Are you ready for it? It's, it's, it's just in one word is the answer to why all of these frustrations that you've expressed, every single one of them I've heard, I'm going, yep, it'll apply, it'll apply. Everything that you've said, you're ready for what the word is? The problem with work, the problem with work is sin. And some of you are already thinking, great, like of all the days to invite my friend to Northside, I thought it was a safe space and Sam's going to beat people over their head. Um, or you're thinking of all the times for me to turn up, I'm going to get told I'm a bad person and I'm going to get smashed. There's all the things that I'm not doing right and what I need to be doing better. No, 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 look, look, please, church, we should know this by now. How many times do I harp on about this? But the, the biblical definition of sin is not necessarily good deeds versus bad deeds. The biblical definition of sin is self-interest. So let's take that definition and let's plug that into the problems that we're having with work. Politics, did someone say it over here? <laughs> Backstabbing? <laughs> Agendas? Anxieties? All of, all of these things, when we begin to plug the biblical definition of sin, sin is self-interest in it, we see that, that all of these symptoms that we're experiencing with work when it frustrates us, it's got nothing to do with office pets but everything to do with self-interest. And so here's what we find. Sin then twists work in a really sinister way. Sin then now suddenly starts to twist work so it no longer becomes your dignity, which is what we learned last week, but now work becomes your definition. And don't you know this? I know that you know this, right? Because you know, say that you go to someone's place on Friday night and you go there for a nice soiree or whatever it is that you do and you go and meet a stranger and you're getting acquainted. Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Jody. What is the first question that someone is going to ask you nine out of ten times? What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> for me, it's normally, what's that on your shirt? But <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Sin twists work 
So it becomes our definition. And so there's a couple of ways that sin distorts God's good and beautiful. Because remember, work is a good thing and work is a God thing. And sin comes in and infects that and twists that. And the first thing that sin does is that sin infects work in such a way that work now becomes corporately painful. It becomes corporately painful. The biblical basis for this is found in Genesis chapter 3. Look at what it says to Adam. He said, God, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. That's the fall, Genesis 3, if you're trying to work it out. That's sin, by the way, defined there. Sin is not good deeds, bad deeds. Sin is not about eating a piece of fruit. Why did Adam eat the fruit? Because I want to. Self-interest. So, redefined to Adam, he said, Because of your self-interest, cursed is the ground because of you, though painful toil, you will eat food from it all days of your life. Cursed is the ground because of you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You see all those verses in there, uh, by the sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles. You know what the Bible is describing there? It's a dynamic that if you work, particularly in the corporate world, you will see this all the time. Ever, ever seen situations where you have a great idea or you see a product that needs to get to market or you see something that is really helpful and the whole thing gets crushed because of the office politics? What is that? That's work now becoming corporately painful. It's because the sin infects all the self-interest. It's never about the good idea or the good work anymore, but instead it's about how well you play the agendas of people's self-interest. And don't we know this? Because some of you, if you're managers, right, you've, you've just become very good at learning how to deal in a corporately painful and broken situation. Deep question for you, if you're in those positions of leadership, is to what degree you continue to exacerbate the thorns and the thistles in your workplace. But there's another thing, there's another thing that sin does to work. <laughs> there's another thing in making it corporate. Before I talk about it, I just, I had, I just remembered how ridiculous this gets um, from my own life. You know, once, once I, uh, you wouldn't believe this, I used to work in corporate and um. And I, I stayed up one night until one o'clock in the morning having an email fight with someone in head office. 1 a.m. in the morning. And, um, and as you do, you've got to have any of those email fights, making sure that you've BCC'd and CC'd all of the bosses and the necessary people on this. <laughs> you, you would never do this, right? <laughs> And the ridiculous thing is I'm thinking there's got to be a good sermon illustration in all of this. I went, I can't even remember what I was fighting about. There's, there's hours of my time that, I, that has been lost to history now. Somewhere in the annals of the Lend-Lease IT server, maybe they could be redeemed and pulled back out. But I'm sure if they were, it would be totally insignificant. Fruitless, silly, stupid, frustrated. You see what sin does to work corporately? Makes it corporately painful. But more importantly, and particularly if you're not someone who's working in the, CD, in the CBD and engaging in email wars, this applies to every single one of us. Retiree, mum, dad, worker, friend. Here's the problem. 
If work is a good thing and a God thing, when sin infects it, suddenly sin makes work too personal. Suddenly work becomes too personal. When sin invades, self-interest invades God's plan for work. Here's what happens. Work was meant to flourish the people around you and yet sin injects itself into it. And now work becomes the basis by which you distinguish yourself from people around you. You use that as, as your definition and there's no greater place in the Bible where you see this at work than in that obscure passage that we read from the very first book of Bible in Genesis. And have a read through with us now. Genesis chapter 11, 1 to 4. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech and as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So question class, Tower of Babel, what, what, were, they, what were they building? Tower? <laughs> Someone's getting a gold star in here. I heard it in the murmurs. They weren't building towers. Verse 4 again. They were come so that so that the tower was the work was just a means to something far deeper, so that we can make a name for ourselves. Self-interest. Self-interest. <laughs> Self-interest. You know, no longer was the work for the work. No longer was the work for God's sake. No longer was a work a good thing and a thing to honour God. Suddenly, sin, self-interest invades the work and it becomes as a basis to make a name for themselves, a reputation, a certain look, a certain way of being viewed, achievement as the basis for how they find their significance. And when I saw all of this, I thought to myself, phew, thank goodness that the book of Genesis is so outdated. And that we as modern day Sydney siders would never do such a thing as that. <laughs> Instagram posts, corner offices, <laughs> name dropping. The work's not the work anymore. Because suddenly now work has been twisted and it becomes a means by which we define ourselves. <laughs> it's why often when I go to soirees now, and I do like a good soiree. I don't even know why I'm saying soiree this morning. <laughs> Friday night drinks. <laughs> I don't say, what do you do? I ask people this question, what do you love? Hey, wouldn't Sydney sound a little bit different if a couple of hundred people asked their friends and strangers, what do you love? What do you love? We make a name for ourselves. And we can see now that we've taken this definition of sin and we've plugged it into the mathematical formula. We can see the way that this fractalized thing just spins itself out over and over and over again since the beginning of time. That sin invades all our work where the work's just not the work. Where, where, where the job's just not the job, where the volunteering's not just the volunteering. And you know who the worst people at this are? Pastors. Pastors are the worst at this. 
That's why so many pastors over the years have hurt people and they manipulate people and they twist people. And if you've got a problem with church and you've got a problem with religion and you've got a problem with the way that the church has twisted people, please don't think that this whole work thing and sin is something that is just left for the secular world and the ivory towers of the CBD. It's as much a problem in the church as it is anywhere else. And it's more of an issue in my life in many ways because the sort of work I do is good. It's good work. And, and by the way, this is why work gets us after all, isn't it? Because work's a good thing. We're not saying work bad, God good. You know, we're not saying work bad, just go, let's all go off to a rock somewhere and sing Kumbaya and just wait for Jesus to return. No, we've been invited into a co-flourishing of this city around us through the work, through the God-given gifts that God has given us. But when, we, when it becomes a problem is when we take this work and, and we twist it, and in fact we reorient it so it becomes uh, the absolute basis for our significance and our definition. That by definition is the biblical word of idolatry. It's an idol where a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And ministry, ministry... Church, that's the easiest thing to make an idol of. And so we have to constantly look back at this. And can, can you see, you know what I say to people when we do this process? You know what I call it? I call it jengering your life. Anyone here played the game Jenga? Yeah. That's not as popular as I thought. Either that or you're just shy. <laughs> you know, I better not put my hand up in church. Someone might see that I play Jenga. <laughs> um, you know, Jenga's this block game, if you haven't played it. Um, Jenga's this block game where you, you stack a whole range of different blocks that are, are ordered into a tall tower. It's like a mini Tower of Babel. And, and you, have to pock, you have to poke out a little bit of a wood block. We've played this, right? And you, and you take turns with your opponent in pulling out a little bit of a wood block and then placing it on top of the tower. And then you poke out another one from the bottom and you place it on top of the tower. And you can imagine after about five or ten goes, the thing becomes incredibly stable and then the whole thing eventually falls over. When we reorient work this way, when in our sinfulness we don't catch the self-deceit of, of sin and self-interest, and when it creeps up on us and we start using our work as the means for our name before God, all we're doing is just jingering our life. And life becomes very unstable and it becomes fragile. And now, now, can, you see, now can you see why there's backstabbing and there's office politics and there's agendas? And there's narcissism, and, there, and there's infighting, and there's betrayal. All, all, of, all, all of this is everyone's bringing their Jenga tower into the one physical and electronic space these days in work, and they're playing all of that out. And pride as a result, pride, pride is a really aggressive animal. You'd, you'd never want to deal, you'd never, you'd never want, in fact, if you had a guard dog, you'd want to call it pride. Right, it, just, it just barks and bites the minute that anything threatens it. And so when this, this infectious self-interest gets into our workplaces, that's what happens. Can you, can you see how that works now? Now, <laughs> it's tough because it's like, it's not, it's not going to do, you're like, thanks, Sam, that's not going to do anything to solve my workplace tomorrow. <laughs> Here's, here's my hope in understanding the framework by which this works is that when you do work into these relationships tomorrow, well, all that we've done this morning in defining the problem with work is that I'm sort of like one of those doctors that, that shows you the chart of what he's going to do in the operation before you do it. You know those charts where you're like, I've got no idea what I'm looking at, but the fact that I'm looking at a chart makes me feel really confident that the procedure is going to go okay. 
Now, what, what I'm saying is when go into your workplaces, go into your work, go into your relationships tomorrow and just watch how self-interest is flowering itself and flourishing. And maybe that's going to give you a sense of peace and resilience with what you're dealing with this week. But here, a couple of practical things then. You know, some of you might be thinking then, okay, well, Sam, how do I, how do I know that I'm not gendering my life? Because idols are tricky things and they sneak up on you. And what I hate about idols is that um, they smack you when you're down. It's a double hit when you both feel it from an idol. You, just, you don't know it's there and then it hits you. And so I'm going to give you a diagnostic question. If there's any question you take away from today, it's this. And the question is this. Here's how you know if you're gingering your life. If your work failed, would you still be satisfied? If the work you're doing failed, would you still be satisfied? I'll let you in on my homework. The answer's no. The answer's no. When I apply that to my life at the moment, I think there's still some building and some work that's happening deep within my own soul. And so... I'm going to share with you what I'm applying to my own heart this week as we, we move forward with this. Because we might not fix the, fix the corporate problem, but we can at least start by fixing the individual problem, right, church? And in fact, isn't that how the kingdom works? As <laughs> small as a mustard seed? Maybe if there's just the redemption of one pl- person in a family or a friendship or a mum's group or the CBD this week who's living out of this truth and reality, um, then maybe our workplaces and spaces will flourish. So here's the things I'm asking myself. Uh, the first one is this, um, why? why? Why am I working? What's my motivation? Is, is my true success honouring God and glorifying him or is it trying to make Sam a success? What's, what's my motive for this? Am I, am I working for the work's sake? Am I working for God in all of this? Am I trying to play the crowd? Am I trying to be the boss? Are you playing to other people? Are you a slave to somebody because you're trying to climb the corporate ladder? Check your motive out. And then if you've done that, make sure that you, that you understand that what you do is a calling. That was from last week. The word vocation, vocare, Latin, it means to call. It's a calling. God has called you to do what you are doing. So make sure you understand that even in the midst of all the frustrations that you're going through in the workplace, maybe God's put you there for a reason. (laughs) Maybe he needs to drop a little mustard seed in the middle of that place that you think is toxic and maybe you are called to that. You know, look at it and say, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because God has called me to do this. And if nothing else is going to write around me this week, that I'm just going to do this for him. And then, and then the final one to ask yourself is, you know, if, if you've asked about your motive and you understand it's a calling and it's still not working for you, you know, it's a really spiritual question. You just ask yourself this, am I in the right job? <laughs> am I in... And seriously, because it's what we come back to. Are we okay with this? You know, are we okay with being frustrated? I've got a firm belief that um, God has designed you and I in certain ways to flourish the world around you. And one of the great discoveries with our work is to find places and spaces where we naturally express the talents and the gifts that he has given us. And maybe, just maybe, if you are up against it and you're grinding this out and there is no joy in this and there is constant anxiety, then maybe... Maybe you haven't discovered what Eric Little did from Chariots of Fire when he said, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure.
And if you can't say that, then maybe, maybe you're not within that space, affinity, ability, opportunity, whatever framework you want to do. Maybe you're not in the right space for your work. And you've got to discover that. <laughs> maybe you, you might discover it the way I, I did. Um, I'm going to use a safe swear word, so I'm just giving you, I'm just giving you the pre-warning for any of those that want to write me an email during the week. But I didn't say it. <laughs> I didn't say it. That's how I discovered this. You know, I was on a my my last week in my corporate job. We went out for a a boozy soiree, a boozy Friday night, <laughs> um, with the boss. And my boss, my boss came up to me and and this was instrumental in my my career direction. He he came up to me and. And he put his arm around me and he said, you know, because he's had that interesting elixir that makes you a little bit more honest than normal, you know, by about nine o'clock on Friday night. And he goes, Sam, Sam, mate, mate, take it from me. You're a crap accountant. <laughs> and he goes, mate, you, you, should be, you, should be, you should be doing something like, I don't know, like that Tony Robbins guy where you get up in front of people and you speak or something like that. <laughs> you wonderfully by sovereign grace move, move into a space where where you find a, a job where you get to express how it is that God has designed you and created you to be and where I think this is vital is because for some of you you know you've you've tapped out and you've 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 sold out because you're like oh, I just if I just if I just grind through this if I put up with the monotony, if I just stick my head down, if I just keep pushing through, ah, oh, that'll do. Work's more noble than that. And that's why I've got to ask you that question, this question this morning, you know, a very personal question. You can answer it to yourself. But what is the fundamental language of your heart when it comes to work? You know, is it, is it Lord, thank you. I do this for you. It's... I want to honor you. I want to glorify you. I might not get it right in all of the, the, the corporate pain that I'm feeling around me in the relationships, but whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm investing, whoever I'm trying to flourish, whether it's a grandkid or whether it's my team at work, Lord, I do it for you. I hand it to you and it is awesome. Or at the other end of the spectrum, are you walking into your work tomorrow, whatever space that might be, and say, you know what? This is killing me. I'm getting flogged. I'm working like a dog. I don't think I can do this anymore. Or even worse, in all of this, you're going, ah, oh, look, I don't know if God's got a plan for my life and I don't know what he's really doing. I'm just going to grind it out. Because he's... And what's insidious about that is he's, he's, he's created you for something greater than that. That's what we discovered last week, that there is higher and far more noble um, purposes than just grinding out your work week this week. Far more noble purposes than just going and earning a little bit of money. Far more noble purposes than just keeping yourself interested enough that the day doesn't feel boring. God, God has designed you with specific purposes in mind. It's, 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 it's why to the extent that Lady Elizabeth Elliot said, a clam glorifies God better than you. <laughs> because a clam is doing exactly what it was built to do. <laughs> I read that, I thought, I'll be darned, I'm, I'm going to out-clam a clam this week. <laughs> Right? 
And so many of us missed that opportunity. You've been specifically designed by God with gifts and talents and abilities to flourish the world around you. And in so doing, glorify him in the process. What did Jesus say? Let let your good deeds shine before the watching world in your workplaces and your spaces so they can see the stuff you do and glorify your Father in heaven. And if you're a person that's that's gendering your life, we'll get to this next week and we'll unpack this a little bit more. But if you are gendering your life at any moment that we are doing that, and I'm guilty of this too, in that moment we've we've forgotten, um, we've forgotten who we really are. Jesus says you're the light of the world. Jesus says uh, that that you are salt and light. Paul says that you are sons and daughters of God. You are adopted children of God. Rever, and isn't it wonderful too? You get to Revelation. You know, the first book of the Bible says they're there making a name for themselves, and then the final book of the Bible gets there, and you read it in Revelation around twenty-one somewhere, where it says, "You know who God is? You know the definition of God? God is the name giver." <laughs> and you see that in God, in Jesus Christ Himself. When you get to First John, and he, he he first meets his disciples, he he gets up to a to a guy, and he, he meets him for the first time, and the first thing he says to him is, "What do you do?" No, I'm just joking. Uh, the first thing that he says to him, he says, oh, your name's Simon. That, that means one who sways around in, in the wind, one who's ambivalent. Oh, your name's Simon. You know what? I think I'm just going to call you Peter, which meant Rocky. Rock. <laughs> Simon Peter. You know what? I'm just going to, just, I'll just, yeah, you, you know, everyone else says that you sway around in the, in the wind. You know what? No, I'm, I'm going to call you the Rock. The Rock. <laughs> And you know what I love about that moment? Jesus gave him the name Rock before he ever did anything to work his way into it. And so what it means for you and I this morning is we have to come back to the identity that we have in him. He gives us each a name. He gives us each an identity. And so the simple thing for us is just to stop working. Stop the work underneath your work, the work the work in trying to prove yourself, the work in trying to make yourself to someone or something. And more often than not, we'll talk about next week, more often than not, you're not trying to prove yourself to anyone else. You're just trying to prove yourself to yourself. Stop the work, the work beneath the work, and recognize that he has done it all for you. Ah. Yeah, that's what's ahead of us this week. Trying to out-clam a clam. <laughs> How has God designed you? How has he purposed you? What gardens has he placed you in to flourish the world around you? Hopefully this morning you've seen a little bit more nuance than your workmates and the people that you were trying to flourish around you. You're going to go into this week, right, with a whole new perspective on work. You'll see it for what it is. And my hope and prayer for you this week, it'll give you a strength because it's not going to phase you. You're just going to watch people playing all of their silly, funny little agendas. And you're just going to look at them. You're just going to re-visualize them as walking Jenga towers around the office place. <laughs> and maybe you and I, maybe just maybe, with God's help and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we won't add to that dynamic. Let's pray. Father, I commit every person in this place to you this morning. And I would ask that your spirit would move into our hearts and our minds and reveal to us in these final moments that we have together those places and spaces hidden from the person next to us on our left and our right, that, that space deep within Heavenly Father where 
if we're real with you, we are trying to make a name for ourselves. And I would pray that your spirit now in this moment, and I'd been praying before we ever got into this message, that maybe just maybe you've already been doing this throughout this message, that you've been revealing to us areas and places and spaces and ways that we have sought to build our lives on something that is other than you. Father, I, I lead into that and I, I say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for the ways that I've subconsciously and consciously and will continue to do, take things like your precious church and use it to build my own ego and my own sense of significance. And Father, I pray in this moment that uh, alongside me that we each, through your spirit as followers of you, Lord Jesus, uh, would come to know the significance of the identity and the name that you place upon each and every one of us. Boldness, courage, fearlessness. Father God, I pray into our lives as we head into our places and workspaces tomorrow. Father God, be with us as we seek to unworld the world around us and make city that little bit brighter through what you've revealed to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.